You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Today we have a special extended episode. The first part, Will Children Get in the Way of Your Path to Financial Independence, features The Stealthy Rich and Karen Cordaway. Then we have a bonus feature with Financial Mechanic doing more Ask Me Anything questions taken directly from our What's Up Next podcast Facebook group page. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Karen Cordaway, author of the Everyday Bucket List book. This is Chris from The Stealthy Rich out of Houston, Texas, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. The 529 plan. Should I put the money in the 529 plan to pay for my son's college? Or he's 15 years old and already has his driver's permit. Maybe I should buy him a car. And my daughter's violin lessons are going so well, but her violin is getting a little bit small. Maybe it's time we finally bought her a full-size one. It wouldn't be so hard if the cost of living here in Chicago wasn't so much. Maybe I could move away, move out of the country, live somewhere like Portugal or Mexico. I bet the cost of living there would be much less. Ugh, but I can't do that. What am I going to do, pull my son out of high school and pull my daughter out of middle school? Man... These kids are a drag. How does anyone ever get to financial independence when they have these children pulling them down? It would be so much easier if I just never had had them. How does the financial independence community deal with this? And speaking of community, before we get into the meat of the interview, I just wanted to remind about the What's Up Next Facebook group. You can find us by going to the website diversify.com backslash Facebook. That's D-I-V-E-R-S-E-F-I dot com backslash Facebook. If you like the conversations and panels we have here at the What's Up Next podcast, we continue the conversation in the Facebook group. There are postings multiple times a day, and it's a real great place for the community to come together and discuss all the important issues of the day. So, Paul Thompson, what's up next? Hey, Doc, uh, we're recording this as my kids are home from school, which is appropriate because our question today is, will your children hold you back from achieving your personal and financial goals? We have two guests with us today to help us answer the question. But first, let's begin with introductions. My name is Chris. I live in Houston, Texas. Been there about 15 years. I have a lot of rental properties that I've built over the years, about 54 single family doors. I also have a partner. He couldn't be here today. His name is Dave. And we're 50-50 partners, carbon copies of each other on how we, we run this thing. And we're from the stealthyrich.com. We also run the at stealthyrich at Instagram. And we both have several children. So this is a very appropriate topic for us. And family is very important to us. So, so we're very excited to 
dive in and talk about how it affects us. I'm Karen Cordway. I'm an author. I have a website. I write about bucket list topics and I live in Connecticut. I have two kids and I can definitely share how kids affect your finances and your journey to FI. So Chris, let's start with you. First and foremost, how many kids do you have? I have four, range uh, age five to, uh, to 14. According to the most recent available data, this is the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the average cost of raising a child from birth to age 17 is $233,610. And that's for a married to two-parent middle-income family with two children. So let's, let's calculate that out. Four kids, yeah. $233,000 each. You're getting pretty close to a million. How do those numbers sound to you? We live in Houston, Texas, very low cost of living place. And that was calculated. I was lucky to get out of school without any debt. That was calculated as well. And my wife doesn't work. We've been a single income family building this life. For me, I am way below that average of 200,000. My kids are in public schools and uh, I mean, they don't go without, but we're just very smart and uh, careful and efficient on how we raise them. So we're way below that, that average for sure. Karen, how does that number sound to you? 233,000. I definitely did not spend that on my children. I'm more in alignment with Chris. I have a teaching background. My kids did not get a lot of toys. We did a lot of educational things. We did a lot of things for free, the library, parks, Anything that could keep them educated and busy and entertained in a positive way without spending money, we did a lot of that. Chris, what do you think we should be spending on our kids? I, I'm not asking for a specific number sure. here, but if the estimate is 233000 for 17 years, what do you think is reasonable? Yeah, I, I went back and looked at my data this morning. I keep track of all my budget data in Mint. I'm not fanatical about it, but it just it's easy. It pulls all my data and I look at it. So far this year for a family of six, we've spent $7,500 on groceries and then $7,000 on kids stuff. And when I say that, that's uh, fees at school, soccer, piano lessons, babysitting. And so for me, Karen said, we're just very careful what we spend our money on. A lot of hand-me-down stuff buy clothes on sale. My kids aren't running around looking like they're ragged. We have soccer balls, we have Minecraft, and we have Legos. That's about all we do. (laughs) And I'm always stepping on Legos. That's because I have four boys. And so those things keep my boys so happy. So whether they're playing outside or they're playing Legos or they're reading books, you know, we just don't spend a lot on the normal things that the normal marketing engine would say that a, a kid should have. But Chris, I saw mentioned in your site that you guys do spend when appropriate. I mean, there are times yes. like you mentioned yes. like the soccer club for, yeah, I believe, so my your soccer, kids. Yeah, my and- soccer club is, you know, 1800 bucks a year for one kid, right? And so some people are like, that is not fi. And so that is definitely a fat fi. But my son spends eight, 10 hours a week doing that. And that is his life. And he loves it, right? And so that's a value play for us where he gets a ton of value out of that and he, he loves it. And so I'm willing to spend on things that bring value. What's happened to me in the last couple of years is I feel like I've become slave to my stuff, right? Whether we have to take care of it, maintain it, we got to store it. And so half of me is now just trying to always ha- figure out how to reduce the amount of stuff we have and instead focus on experiences. Really, we do spend on experiences and value things that my kids love, but we're very careful and calculated on, on what, we, what we spend. Karen, is it typical that we spend for the same thing on kids as we spend adults? I mean, is it the typical housing, transportation, and food that's eating up all this budget? I know for me it was, and we lived on one teacher salary in a highly taxed state, and at one point, my mortgage was 50% of 
my expenses. And I still did it. My daughter was a valedictorian. She just graduated and luckily got free tuition to our local state college. You force yourself to be extremely creative and strategic. It's almost like running a business. Everything that Chris is saying, I'm completely in alignment with, even the values part. I don't like when people in the fire movement say, oh, that's not fire. Those are your values and that's where you want to put your money. So it's like, it's not all about stripping every little thing. So you have this big pot of gold and you rip out all the joy out of your life. I really like what he said about that because part of it was I wanted to have my kids have enriching experiences. And if that was something that they liked to do, yes, I would put off certain things for myself so that my kids could get those types of experiences at a young age. Do you think, Karen, that there's a bias in the financial independence community against children? I mean, I see a lot of content creators that are childless, and maybe for them, it's very easy to define what's of value and what isn't uh, when they don't have children themselves. Do you think that bias is there? I don't know if people are aware of that. I think sometimes when you don't have kids, you think you kind of have everything figured out, but it's really figured out for the situation you're currently in. If you were someone who had kids, you might completely revamp your ideas and philosophies and you don't know what it would be like until you're in that situation. I definitely thought I was going to stay at a job. I was like a gung-ho career person. I'm like, I want to be the person in charge of all of their learning. And I didn't want to miss out on those moments. There is this thing where I wish there were more people like me to speak out about this because children in some ways, obviously they come with a big price tag but you could still shoot for FI with a family and you know accomplish your goals maybe not as fast as some of these people maybe you can't buy five properties when you're 20 you have a lot of time and everything like that you have to coordinate and work around them and they like i said they come with a price tag so it's like you're just working it to your situation but i do find that there are young people and maybe they're new at a at work period. So they don't even have work experience. So they just don't like their job and they want to leave. And it is much easier. I'll say that. Karen, I think you hit it spot on, right? And so I, I see it in the, in the fire movement, definitely a bias, at least I feel it where kids, I mean, push it down the road. I'm not going to have kids and that's fine. You don't, no one, not everyone has to have kids. However, I will say my goal of FI was to find true joy, true happiness, true freedom. And I didn't find that until I had children. So children for me brought me that happiness. Had I gone, become fire without kids, I think I would have been super bored, you know, and just super uh, unfulfilled. And so for me, those four boys of mine bring me that joy. And so everything I do in building uh, a nest egg or, uh, you know, some type of mini empire is for them in my eyes and slowed me down. I wouldn't say it's a hindrance, but it's part of the plan that I came up with luckily when I was young, my first child I had when I was 22. And so my goal was to have them in high school or almost done in high school by the time I was like 45. And so I'm not going to quite get there, but I'm close. So that can enjoy, you know, be young still. And so for me, fire brings me that joy that I can then spend with my family. And my family is my everything. For me, they go together, in my opinion. Chris, do you almost get the feeling, and this, this is obviously a little bit controversial, but do you almost get the feeling that children are looked at as lifestyle bloat sometimes? Oh, no, for sure. If I see friends that live, say, in the coast, San Francisco, New York, I could not duplicate my lifestyle there with children. It would be impossible. I don't know how people do it. And so I can totally see if, if your world is the Bay Area or New York or 
uh, LA, I would feel the same way. Like I can't have children. I can literally afford them easier not to have them or push it down the road. So definitely, you know, that's sad to me because for me, I'm spending all week with them on the beach. That is the entirety of my life. And so without that, I would just feel empty. So for me, it's, it's definitely important family and, and having the children be part of it. Karen, do people ever approach you and start talking about opportunity costs? I know you transitioned your career in a different direction once you had children. And certainly people worry about this idea of money left on the table, whether it's not pursuing a certain career or whether it's spending money on your children instead of saving and investing. Do you hear people talking about this opportunity cost loss? Constantly. From the time my kids were little, all the way up till now. And it is something where you don't always have the perfect language to say the perfect thing. But I do tell people to try to have something to say because it can throw you off guard. And you got to remember, I worked full-time as a parent. I worked part-time as a parent and I was completely home. And it did not matter what situation I was in. Someone always has something stupid to say. (laughs) 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 and this is this is where I am with this and I literally sometimes read this to myself once a week because if I see someone and I know they're going to say something stupid and I'm not someone who in the moment can like bark that perfect thing at them I'm happy with my choices and I'm sorry if other people aren't or it somehow stirs up something in someone else you know it depends on who the person is if they're really someone who has just a curiosity it's different. But if it's someone who's trying to zing you because they're mad that they have to work so much because their kid is in XYZ activity and, oh, well, I have to work extra and I have to do this. And I'm like, this has nothing to do with me. That's your choice. You know, personal finance is personal. So another thing I'll say is it's a personal decision and I'm happy with my decision because some people, doesn't matter what you say, They think everybody should work 60 hours a week. And if I have to do it, you should have to do it too. Or you're lazy. There's like all these weird things that I've come into contact with, especially women, because it seems like it doesn't matter what you do. They put a label on you and it's annoying. Chris, let's talk about time hacking a little bit. I mean, you made a point of talking about how important it is to spend time with your children and your family. That's maybe your why of financial independence, but many people tell me that I'm working a nine to five already. And now you're talking about side hustling, taking on real estate. I already stressed as it is, how am I going to take on all this extra stuff and still spend time with my family? For me, I took a job about seven years ago working from home. And once I did that, eliminated uh, the two hour commute to downtown, right? Back and forth. I had all this extra time And I didn't know what to do with it, right? And so it was the productivity went off the charts. And so for me, it was really figuring out that 24 hours a day, we all have that, obviously. It's the one thing we all have the same resources of. But once I was able to then realize the time in my day that is, let's say, wasted or or not as valuable, once I was able to work from home, I was able to then say, okay, I'm going to carve out time for uh, this side hustle. Or, you know, on the weekends, I had to make time for my family or in the evening, Instead of commuting home, I was home for dinner, help make dinner with my wife. Uh, it's all about what is your why. You know, if I needed to take another job, I would never, personally, I would never work outside of my house. And that is just because for me, that time that I gained was 
so valuable and part of my daily routine that I could never give up and it's not worth any amount of money to me. It was at a point where the, the seesaw flipped and time became more valuable to me than money. And right now, some people can't say that, obviously, if you're working and you're trying to make ends meet and you have to work, that's difficult. And I know people have difficult situations where they, and their kids just come home and you're just dead and you don't want to have the energy to spend. But for me, it was, it was then taking a job at working from home and then being able to maximize that time to then focus on side hustles, focus on other businesses, and most importantly, my family. I also think, too, it depends on the side hustle. I got extremely creative with side hustles. At one point, my whole career was side hustles. I wouldn't tell anybody at the time, but I even took a job as an usher. And it was partially because I wanted to see musicals for free. I love this job. It was probably one of the best jobs I ever had. And it was like minimum wage, but it was a flexible schedule. I thought of it as like my me time. So some side hustles can really drain you. I was like, extremely happy. I'm like, I'm watching The Wizard of Oz. I'm watching Chicago. I'm seeing all this stuff. And one of my friends said, aren't you embarrassed? What if somebody sees you? I was proud. I always put a positive spin. And some of it is confidence because I know people who have delivered pizzas. They've done things that I would probably never do. If you pick things that you like, it can kind of be like your free time. Karen, those are great points. The other thing I wanted to mention as well you know, so for me, I chose real estate, which from, seemed like the ultimate side hustle that I could, I don't want to say automate, but we were able to build, this is the key word, systems that are repeatable and can somewhat be passive. I use that word very carefully, but the idea is that I can run that whole business essentially from my smartphone. And so that became key to then not take a lot of my time driving around to different properties or having to manage employees or whatever. And so picking a side hustle or picking a, a business that you can do on the side, that you can build repeatable systems that give you a competitive advantage and help you time hack, as you mentioned that word, Doc G, that is what I'm trying to do ultimately is to, I'm going to say multitask, but be able to use my time as, as efficiently as possible to maximize my time with my family. Chris, you feel that having children made you more time efficient or less oh, time efficient in the end? For sure, more, because it gave me a reason to improve because I didn't come home from work and be able to sit on the, you know, on the couch and watch TV and, and throw back a, a drink or something while you know, I waited to go out and hang out with my friends. It was, got home from work, had to take my kids to soccer practice, had to take my other son to jiu-jitsu, my wife needed to be somewhere, we had to cook dinner, clean up dinner. And so all that every day caused us have to improve and beat the status quo so that our life could be better, right? And so that we could have some sanity in what we do. And so definitely having those children made us sharpen the saw, if you will, sharpen the ax so that we had to get better so that we could survive. And in the end, it just improved us to the point where we're able to kind of overcome that and eventually reach what we call, you know, a fat five. Karen, I think sometimes we make the mistake of only talking about wealth in terms of finances, but there's a lot more to wealth than just money. Talk to us a little bit about oh, what a bucket list is and how kids can get in the way of achieving that. A bucket list is something you've never done before and you want to do in your lifetime. It's really as simple as that. If you're thinking, hey, I want to take off to Vegas or go to Bermuda and leave my family behind, that might be a little harder to do. I'm not saying it's not possible, but really it's just having a broader idea to really 
do the things you want to do. You can do it with kids. You just have to be more strategic, similar to what Chris Mm -hmm. is saying. Like you get super focused. And when you have a family and you're running a household, it's very similar to running a business. It can get in the way in the way that, yes, you don't have as much flexibility. You can't take off on a dime. You have to coordinate babysitting or you bring your kids with you, depending on what you're doing. You may have less options, but it depends. There's people like Holly Porter. She takes off all over the place with her kids. She's a writer. Her kids come with her. Depends on you, your style. I'm at a place where my kids, one is in high school, one's in college. And I'll go to Disney with them or do some sort of family thing. But yes, my husband and I now, we appreciate more time alone and venturing off on our own. It seems like when most of us think about a bucket list, it's something we do when we're retired or it's something we do when our kids are grown up and moved away. Is that the case, Karen? Or can we start on our bucket list even even now? That's why my mission is to rebrand bucket list because I believe, especially people who are in the financial independent movement, you should enjoy every aspect of your life, every stage of life. You never know what's coming down the road. And I'm just not a big believer in deprivation of fun or anything like that. If there's experiences that you're able to do, try to do them now. If you have to put off like all those things that really can wait, a childhood is something that you don't get that back. Even now my kids are teenagers. They don't always want to be with us. You know, when they're little, that's when you want to spend more time with them. I mean, I would love to spend more time with my kids, but it's it's very different when they're older. So it's like, it's a short span of time that you have to kind of jump on that window while you can. And like I said, it doesn't mean you don't take off on a trip or have fun on your own. You can still do that. You just have to be strategic. Chris, what Karen is talking about is being strategic about your bucket list now so that you don't have to put it off just because you have young children. Talk to us a little bit about how you think children have affected your FIRE journey as a whole. I'm talking about financial independence, retire early. Has it delayed it? Has it changed it? Delayed it, but that was on purpose. And so for example, if I didn't have children, my wife would have had a job. She's an artist, so she could have taught art. She could have worked in any artistic field. And so we would have been a dual income family, would have bought a smaller house, most likely. We would have lived in a less desirable school district, probably because we didn't need to have that for our children. So we didn't have any. And we probably could have been done by the time we were, um, I want to say 30. Could have been done. But for me, I would have then been bored out of my mind. We would have maybe traveled together. But at some point, I would have felt empty. I compare it to two words, fun versus joy. Fun is short, fleeting, short-term happiness. And the joy is long-term happiness. And so I get that with my children. And so it was all by design to prolong it and push it out a little bit, still way before 65, but to a point where then I can enjoy it with my children, hopefully with their families and grandkids and whatnot. And so that generational plan is what I'm hoping for. And that is why it's been designed that way. And so the reason I chose real estate as well is my boys, even now at their young age, are helping me in some ways run the business, whether they go help clean out a, a house we just bought or you know go take pictures of something for me. Those kinds of working and teaching are what I'm about. And that is something that brings me so much joy. And so yes, I haven't retired as quickly as I could have, but it's part of my plan because they were a critical and crucial part of the plan. Karen, are we rushing towards financial independence and even something like retirement early too quickly? I mean, is it possible that we're concentrating on the wrong things when we're just looking at finances? You know, it depends on the person. And because I don't like people telling me what to do, I'm not someone to say, hey, don't do that. 
But if you are miserable at your job and you're just trying to sock all your money away and then you don't have a lot left over to do anything fun, that's not fun to me. You know, I think there can be balance. I was always putting money away when I was spending 50% of my money on my mortgage. We just live like someone who is in debt or has student loan debt, even though we didn't, to put money away. So I think there can be a balance. You can't always just plan it and say, I'm going to do X, Y, Z. You have to see if it's right for you. If someone wants to do that fast fire, more power to you. For me, that didn't feel like an option, but we caught up just like anyone else doing it the way that we did. Like I said, I'm happy for someone if they're doing what they want. And if they feel like a temporary sacrifice is going to get them to their goal, then I'm happy for you. I'm never going to be someone to say, do it my way. There's only one way. I'm not about that. Yeah. So that's a great point. I think there's two factors why we've come to where we're at, right? So if we look at my parents' generation, they worked super long hours. They worked hard. They usually worked at the same job, the span of their career. Luckily, I saw my father a lot. But I know a lot of my friends, their dads were gone. You know, they'd come home at dark and they'd leave early and they never saw them. And I think we've swung the other direction now and everyone now wants to work a lot less and finish sooner. Uh, I think that's also coupled with the fact that we've been through the best bull market ever in the last 10, 12 years. As soon as that changes, I'm curious to see how this movement reacts or changes. So I think we need to find some balance in the middle of still getting happiness from working but not killing ourselves from the normal, you know, not normal, but the standard 60-hour, 50-hour work week that so many of our parents became accustomed to. But find some moderation in the middle. And I want to sum that up with a quote. Wealth is not about having a lot of money. It's about having a lot of options. And that's Chris Rock. If the options that it presents you are what you want, then to me, that is wealth. And obviously, you have to have the money, you know, to be financially independent, but it's really not all about money. I like how you highlighted all of that about your kids helping with your real estate, because that's what makes you happy. I have these nightmares that somehow I'm going to raise these children who are feel entitled or, you know, who are given a silver spoon. And that is not what I'm trying to do at all, right? So I'm trying to teach them some level of work and earning something and becoming something, but at the same time, being able to understand the value of creating a business, creating something that you own uh, instead of proverbial working for the man. Too. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that you brought up entitlement yeah. because I definitely didn't want to ever feel like my kids were bratty. They definitely did have me as their on-demand chauffeur many times, like someone you would think is extremely wealthy. I could go to any of their events at any time. They had an edge. They could stay after school, anything like that. They could put that extra effort into sports, academics. So that made me feel extremely wealthy because other people couldn't do that. But also one very interesting thing about entitlement that I just learned Hal Elrod wrote The Miracle Morning. We always think about entitlement as a bad thing. And he's saying there's something called enlightened entitlement. If you see somebody doing something, like a regular person pulling off something that you think you could do, why not? Sometimes I think people are afraid they're going to be perceived a certain way. So what if I was picking up my kid whenever I needed to? There is like a fine line of guess what? I deserve this. This is my life. I worked hard for this. I'm making sacrifices. When you said that entitlement thing, sometimes I think we should flip entitlement on, on its head and say, I am entitled to this. I'm not going to be a jerk or a brat or treat someone disrespectfully, but I deserve free time. I deserve to be with my kids. I deserve to have fun. And I will work as much as I want, as long as I have the amount of money I need and want. Yeah, it's a confidence thing. It's great. Chris, let me play the devil's advocate a little bit here. We're talking about entitlement 
Could one argue that pursuing financial independence with three or four kids is a little bit selfish, maybe a little bit self-centered? Uh, what do you mean? That because, uh, because I have the children? Or can you ex- expound oh, on that? Yeah, because you are basically telling your kids you have to sacrifice along with us so that we can reach ah. financial independence, whereas they just want to be kids, right? They I just want right. to do what all their friends are doing. They just want that expensive iPhone. That's true, right? No, you're exactly right. Because I had this conversation all the time. My son wants AirPods. And I'm like, I don't have AirPods. There's no way you're getting AirPods because A, you're going to lose them. And B, they're 150 bucks. I can buy you some that look just the same for like 20. And so there is some of that. And I had that growing up. I wanted a Nintendo. And I didn't get it until the the Super Nintendo came out. (laughs) Right? So I got the last year's model. So there is some of that. But I think it is learning about uh, teaching about instant gratification and going without not, not suffering, but just learning to delay, delay gratification. If you would ask my kids most of the time, I think they would think they had a great life. And then the other thing I would say is, thankfully, thanks to Netflix and some of these other streaming services, my kids don't see commercials ever. I remember as a kid, Saturday morning, I'd see all those commercials for toys and cereal and everything, and I'd ask my parents, I want this. They don't know about most of this stuff, which is great. <laughs> Because they don't, they don't get to see those commercials. But yes, there is a little bit of that. But I don't think in, in the long term, I think it will serve them well to learn the value of a dollar, the value of an hour, the value of, of your time versus getting anything you want because you asked for it. And so we, we manage that pretty well. But I could see some people thinking that you were causing your kids to go unnecessary sacrifice, but I don't see it that way at all. Karen, let's transition this from finances to life experience. Could you make the same argument that you as an adult parent pursuing your bucket list with young children is selfish towards them, uh, is a little bit self-centered as opposed to focusing on what the kids need at the time? Some of it was my family was a part of it. So we would go to Disney. I would take them to fun parks. Like it wasn't really all about the individual bucket list. And that's another thing I try to get away from. Wherever you are in your life, you do that with your family too. It could be something very simple. And that's why I call it the everyday bucket list book. I wanted my kids to see almost every kind of zoo animal at the zoo. And where I live, I think we had a bear, a tiger, some birds, like very small zoo. I knew that I had a short window of time because once they get older, forget it. They don't want to do it. We would go to all these different zoos. Like we went to San Diego. My daughter was in love with lions. Mom, can we go to Africa? I'm like, sweetie, I don't think we could do that. But, you know, there's lions at the San Diego Zoo. So it really wasn't always about me. I mean, it's funny that you're talking about talking your kids out of those AirPods. My older daughter, forget it. We were going to see Harry Potter when that first came out. I mean, if anything, they dragged me along for things that they wanted to do. I just embrace it as a family because when you are in that season, you like being with your family. Like you're saying, I think a lot of these people don't like kids or they think, oh, yuck, I, I want to go on vacation and lay in the sun. Like, I don't want to bring these kids. Kids are fun. Kids show you like the beauty of everything when you're saying experiences. If a kid sees something for the first time, an animal or something that we take for granted, a sunset, you know, someone singing, anything, they get so excited. It brings you joy. So no, I don't think it's selfish at all. You need to be a happy parent. If your kid is upset in the moment, oh, well, I'm coming back rejuvenated for you, little person. They need to know too, when you're an adult, you have the right 
to have free time and, and be happy. You ever scrolling through your Facebook feed and wonder, boy, I wish I could listen to another episode of the What's Up Next podcast. Well, now you can engage our content in two different ways. One, you can go to our website, www.diversify.com. That is D-I-V-E-R-S-E-F-I.com. And go to the top and just click on the podcast button. Or you can check us out on Facebook at the What's Up Next podcast Facebook group. The easiest way to get there is www.diversify.com backslash Facebook. That's D-I-V-E-R-S-E-F-I dot com backslash Facebook. We hope to see you there and engage with our community on topics very similar to the ones you'll find on the podcast. Now back to the show. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor. And it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner, and now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Chris, what Karen is talking about is integrating children into the bucket list. Tell me how you integrate them into your financial independence plans and your side hustles. How do they become a part of it? Often I'll need to go check out a deal because we mail these yellow letters to people and people call us and we go look at these houses occasionally. That's about the only time I have to go drive somewhere. My kids make it a point. They love to see these houses. It's like a a highlight for them because most of them are either tore up or just bizarre. And so they come with me and it's part of the going to work with their dad kind of thing. And exciting for them, you know, do a little bit of work on the side to teach them how to run a business. The fact has been building this enterprise is for them. I'm not going to try to liquidate this portfolio when I retire, it's going to keep going is the idea and eventually pass it to them in some form or fashion, hopefully to the point where they still need to work, but it provides some security net for them in the future. And so it was all built and designed for them once, once I'm gone. And so that was the sole purpose for my retirement. Real estate, it's the gift that keeps on giving in my opinion. And so that was something that we built and picked because of our children. 
And Chris, what do you hope to teach your children or what do you hope they get out of watching you go through this financial independence journey? So there's a quote and I'm going to butcher it, but it's from Ramit Sethi from his book that I spend extravagantly on the things that I love and I cut costs mercilessly on the things that I don't. And so I'm trying to teach them that when you have options, you have power, you have freedom. And so I'm trying to teach them that, listen, you might want five things, but let's pick your favorite two or your favorite top one. And let's focus on that. You know, so my one son, he loves soccer. He loves football. He loves all kinds of sports. And I said, listen, man, you can't do all those. It's impossible. Let's pick one. And so he thought about it long and hard. He said, okay, I'm going to focus on soccer. And so that's been his thing. He had to make a decision and he can't just do it all. And so for teaching my children what brings them the greatest value and then not focusing on the stuff that doesn't. When I see my friends and their kids, they're kind of aimless. They just kind of buy their kids whatever and there's not a real plan involved. And so then that becomes stressful because then you're spending a lot of money, taking care of a lot of things. You don't really have a plan or an outline to go on. And so that has been key for our success in our family is choosing the things and identifying the things and experiences that you love. We go hard on those. We go hard on those and then the rest of them, we just forget about. We just leave them to the side. And so that has been mirrored in our real estate. So for me personally, I do nothing in the stock market except for my 401k, real basic retirement stuff. I am all in on real estate because that's what I know and I love and I understand. And so that is where those kind of passions and that kind of uh, theory keeps going, even in the financial world, as well as in my personal life. And Karen, I'd ask you the same question. What do you hope your kids learn from your adventures in personal finance, your side hustles, and your writing about bucket lists? My older daughter is very into luxury, prestige. And I think because I did hold back on things it gave her the fire to really work for stuff. And it's funny that you bring up Ramit Sethi because I would always tell my daughter, try to go to college and get a scholarship. He had the fire from his parents because he knew if he wanted scholarships, he was going to have to get that on his own. And my daughter, if she wants something, she has two jobs right now. She will work for it because I always set a limit at Christmas, whenever birthdays, this is how much money you're getting. Oh, well, I want AirPods and I want this and these sneakers cost $100 and I am completely okay with spending money on that if that's what they want. But once you hit your limit, you're on your own. My daughter will bust her butt for things that she wants and whether it's an experience or a thing. And I'm okay with people wanting things too. I'm totally fine with that because if that makes you happy, then that's your decision. I know she won't be like me. She is frugal and a bargain shopper, but I know I've taught her lessons that have allowed her to pick what she wants to do. And even like she wants to be a doctor because she's said to me and my husband, I'm not, I don't want to be a teacher. I want to make this amount of money. And I, these kids are hard. They don't listen. And like, so it's like, it may seem like she went in a different direction, but it's because she saw an option and I see that this could work this way, but I want to do X, but it's not in a negative way. Chris, I want to bring this conversation full circle. When we hear people in the financial independence community talking about childless fire, financial independence, retire early, is it unrelatable to you now? If you want to save a bunch of money, retire by 30, have a spouse or a partner or whatever, and then just travel the world and live freedom. That's great because that's the message I'm doing it. I'm just trying to do it with a few extra people in tow. 
right? <laughs> and so I think that's great. But for me, it takes a little bit longer because those four other little people aren't pulling their weight, if you will, quote, yet. But hopefully I'm teaching them principles that they can then replicate and do the same thing as they grow up. And that, for me, brings me the ultimate joy. That defined my why for FI and Fat FI was having those children. And then I realized that my time was so valuable and so critical. And as Karen said, those short years with your children are so short. I wanted to maximize that. And, and by doing uh, FIRE, I was able to do that. Karen, same question to you. Is some of this financial independence content unrelatable uh, to you seeing these childless content producers talking about how to achieve financial independence? It absolutely is. But I think it's good for people who want to live the lifestyle that they have without children, and that's their choice. I never even realized that I was still a part of this movement. I didn't think that I was because I did have a family and I had to do it slower, like what Chris is saying. But one thing I will say is you appreciate that time, that money, whatever experience you spend it on. Like, oh, I finally get to sit on a tropical island by myself. Like sometimes if you're doing that all the time, that's just regular life. I know just from being a teacher and having summers off, by the end of the summer, we were done. The leisure lifestyle all the time, that's not for me. Kids kind of set boundaries for you. And I just feel like when I get my little get out of jail cards, I am the happiest person. Like when I hear most people's problems, I think they're all self-imposed. I just feel like when you sacrifice or you put things on hold, you appreciate it so much more and the smallest simplest thing can make you very happy. I wonder if we're going to see as this movement develops and evolves, we're going to see some type of counterculture of people who are bored sitting on an island, right? Or sitting on the beach or, or traveling the world. And they're like, well, what am I going to do now? It's just so young in the movement, essentially, that I'm curious to see how it evolves to the next step. Yeah, I was going to say there is that counterculture starting. Uh, some people call oh. it the slow fi movement. There's this talk about pretty much slowing down, focusing on smart earning, investing, et cetera, but also spending your time living your life now. Jessica from the Pioneers has a Facebook group called the Slow Ooh, Fi Facebook group. So I think Check that counterculture out. actually is starting. I adore Doug Nordman. I know him and I've known him for a long time and he travels everywhere. I know Paula Pant and I completely admire that. and I will say that you can still take ideas from what these people are doing to better your situation or learn little tips or strategies, or even just kind of validate your own thoughts. Like sometimes when you hear somebody who's doing something that you know you wouldn't do, if I didn't hear them say that, I wouldn't even have that conversation in my head, contemplate, hey, can I do that? Should I not? Like sometimes I like saying, I know that's not for me. And it kind of helps you fine tune your why and your journey. You know, you kind of can tweak things a little bit. But sometimes I do like hearing those opinions because I know what I chose was right for me. And I'm okay if somebody has a different idea. Yeah, Karen, that's a perfect segue to rounding out this conversation as we close out the podcast. I'd like to ask both you and Chris, take this conversation and apply it to our perceived audience out there listening to this, they have some decision points to make. They may be thinking about whether they should be, have children. 
They may be thinking if they're going to be able to achieve financial independence in the time frame they want with the children they have. What would be some key points that you would suggest that they think about in light of this conversation? I would just start cutting out things now. So you test drive what it's like to adapt your lifestyle. Sometimes having that beautiful, precious baby all of a sudden just kicks you into high gear. You might be that person that you just have to wait until it happens to you because all of a sudden things that you thought mattered don't matter anymore. And like I said, just try to strip things down as much as you can and try to do without things or sacrifice a little bit just so it's not such a drastic change because I had the drastic change and that's not fun when it feels scary and you want to be with your kids, but you're like, is this really responsible? Can I really save money? I would call it an outline. Just try to mentally prepare yourself as best you can and try to adapt your lifestyle. Maybe you don't go out every week. Maybe you scale back to once a week. See how you feel about that. Everything changes. Like you don't know how you're going to feel or how your priorities shift. Chris, as your children grow up and you find yourself with an empty nest and you've achieved financial independence with this amazing real estate empire that you've created, what then? Do, do you lose yeah. your purpose or have you figured out what that's going to be yet? My wife and I, we're very active in our church as well. So that'll be part of our, our church family. We'll continue on. Uh, my parents live just a few hours from us. So it's, it's far enough. We don't have to go every weekend for Sunday dinner, but we do see them probably every other month. And so I would hope that my relationship with my boys would be the fact that once they're married and start to have children, that I become a part of their, their life still, whether it's uh, seeing the grandkids or getting together for holidays throughout the year. And then being five allows us to travel to them. I know many of my friends, their parents are strapped. They're retired. They're living on a fixed income and they can't come visit them as often as they wish. We can go to them. And so that flexibility and freedom is truly what, you know, it'll be a sad day. I'm sure when I wake up and I don't hear screaming and fighting and punching, but <laughs> it will be, uh, it'll be quiet. That's for sure. But the, the ability to then travel and be uh, flexible, I think is what that freedom and those options from FI will provide. That's a fantastic answer. I, I find myself in the same throes, probably same similar ages. And I do real estate as well. And I have the same kind of freedom that you have. And I wake up sometimes thinking, oh, um, w- will I ever wake up to, to them not screaming? And I think, oh, well, that will be the day that I probably don't actually want, which is... Right. <laughs> It'd be nice for one day. I mean, so yesterday I was in the car for nine hours with these guys. We were on a vacation to Florida. And for eight hours, it was great. And that last hour, we all wanted to punch each other. And so, you know, but, but that's life and I love it. And, and it's something that without it would be super boring. And so in that moment, of course, we wanted to not be there. But now we look back and it's funny and it's life and we've grown from it, right? I mean, it'll be a memory for us that we've had. And so definitely once it's gone, we'll all want it back, I'm sure. Well, Chris, uh, where can we find you and let the audience know what else is happening in your life? What is up next for you? Yeah, so it's myself and I have a business partner, Dave, and we're in Houston, Texas. We run a blog, thestealthyrich.com. We are also on Instagram, very active there at thestealthyrich. And we just drop all kinds of real estate knowledge. We do mainly single family homes. That's been our niche. We've done over uh, 75 deals in the last five or six years. We just like to document everything we do because we think anyone can do this. And we like to just share our numbers, outline every deal, every dollar, every crazy tenant story that we have. It's not all uh, rainbows. And so we, we lay out all every detail so that you can see how it is and drop all kinds of knowledge at the blog. So follow us there, check us out. 
Wonderful. Thanks for your contribution. Karen, same question to you. Where can we find you and what is up next for you? You'll have to look up my name and it's Karen Cordway spelled C as in cat, O-R, D as in dog, A-W-A-Y. If you want it to ring cats and dogs of bucket list ideas, you're welcome to go there. I'm also on Twitter by the same name and my book is on Amazon, The Everyday Bucket List Book. This has been the What's Up Next podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, and my co-host, Paul Thompson, we'd like to thank Karen Cordaway from the Everyday Bucket List book and Chris from the Stealthy Rich. That's a wrap. Well, I know everybody's excited to get to that silly blooper reel. Before we get there, we have a special segment with Financial Mechanic taken from our Facebook group. That's D-I-V-E-R-S-E-F-I dot com backslash Facebook. This is part of the Ask Me Anything series. We asked our Facebook group any questions for Doc G or about the show, and here's what they came up with. So I'm real excited to welcome back Financial Mechanic. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. We did a Ask Me Anything episode, and there are a bunch of questions left over from Facebook. So I thought I'd have you back on so we could do some of those questions. Do you have a few lined up? I have a few lined up. There were so many people asking questions on the Facebook group that we didn't get to. So I'm really glad you made some time, and I can really ask you the hard-hitting questions everyone wants to know. I was about to say, who knew I was so exciting, right? (laughs) Everyone wants to know about Doc G. Okay, the first question, are you ready? Yep, go for it. Dylan Rhodes from our Facebook group asks, boxers or briefs? Oh, I am definitely boxers. I have no idea how any man wears briefs. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know what it is. And maybe maybe because I'm like not a major athlete, right? So I'm not doing like these crazy sports, but boxers to me, man. Great. All right. Now that we got the important question out of the way, this one was from me left over that I really wanted to ask and didn't get a chance to. So as you know, we had a really great episode about our financial gurus of the day, are they starting to become women? And when we set up for our AMA, I looked at your website and I was reading through all the blogs that you recommended and I noticed that there are no women, Doc G. And I know that you're a very open-minded guy and we're exploring all these issues. So I was just curious, what's with that? So I have a lot of cop-out answers and then probably a real answer. The cop-out answer is... When I threw that up, I was pretty new to the financial independence community, and those were the names that I knew. As I got deeper and deeper into financial independence, I ended up knowing a lot more bloggers, men, women, varied races, colors, creeds, sexual orientations, etc. But I never bothered updating my list. That's kind of a cop-out answer. I think the real answer, and I've talked about this a lot, is... I think we tend to have blinders on and focus on people who look and sound like us. And so if you look at my list of original bloggers that I paid attention to, they probably look and sound a lot like me. It's something that I'm continuously trying to improve. And in fact, a major goal of the podcast is to help me open my eyes to the vast, varied, and wonderful community we have that's really made up of all sorts of different types of people. I'm definitely growing in this process, but I have to admit it's really hard. It's really hard to not have blinders on, and it's something I really struggle with. 
Thank you for answering that so eloquently. You're right. It's easy to focus on the stories that of people who look like us. I know for me, a lot of the blogs that I originally connected to were white women. And so for me, it's also expanding. And like you said, there's a whole spectrum of bloggers. So if you did have to update your list, do you have any people top of mind you'd want to go on there? Oh my God. There are just so many. I mean, now that I'm more familiar with the community, of course, financial mechanic, of, of course, course oh, thank you, a purple life, of course, chief mom officer, of course, God, there are just so many. Tread lightly, retire early. I mean, I could just go and I, I don't mean to leave people out because there's so many, so many people that I enjoy listening to or reading. The list is too vast. And in fact, I should probably get rid of that page now because the number of people who've affected me, especially in the podcasting journey, is so large, I couldn't possibly do a list like that justice anymore. Hmm. Speaking of all the people who have made impacts on you, my next question was about people who have been on the podcast. We've This podcast is all about exploring these different ideas. So you're asking people questions that don't have clear answers. And I'm curious what questions or statements have people made that really made you think or change your mind about something? Boy, that, I mean, I can think about almost every episode someone makes me think differently. So in fact, today, I just recorded an episode where I had a couple on and the theme of the episode was being contrarian. Because in a lot of ways, they talk about doing things in a way completely different than everyone else does when they're talking about their finances. But as we got into it, their definition wasn't that they're contrarian. It's that they see these limiting beliefs and they decide to move past them. Mm -hmm. And so immediately it was a change in my mindset versus being contrarian versus not bending to your limiting beliefs. So how many times does someone say, you can't do that? And what they say is, of course we can do that, and maybe we can find a way to do it better. So one of their, what I would call contrarian beliefs, is they don't put a lot of money in their 401ks. And their argument is, I don't want to put this money in a safe and not be able to touch it. I have better ways of deferring taxes through things like real estate, and I can make a lot more money on it doing it in a different way. And so my limiting belief was that the tax benefits of the 401k would pretty much preclude you from using that money in a different way. And so that was like every episode, that was a learning experience for me. I think it was Eric from Mastermind Within first talked about stopping contributing to his 401k in order to invest in his business. And it was definitely... The first time I had heard of anybody doing that, and my first reaction was, Ooh, I don't know if you should do that. But thinking about it from his perspective and the revenue he was bringing in from his business, maybe that is a better investment than his 401k and the tax benefit. So it's a good point. And even in your episode, I forgot, was it Tori who was talking about with the Plutus Awards and how there is an award for best female personal finance uh, blog, but there isn't for best male personal finance blog. And you realize that there are layers that you miss unless you listen closely enough to someone else who shows them to you. 
Mm -hmm. And that's what the podcast for me has been about is having, allowing other people to show me the different layers that maybe I've been missing because I just don't see them. Mm. Speaking of unpopular money opinions or contrarian money opinions, do you have any unpopular money opinions or something different that you do in your lifestyle that maybe doesn't fit with the fire brand? For sure. So for one is I, we spend a lot of money. I mean, we are not nearly as frugal as other people. I don't travel hack. I just, I never enjoyed this idea of messing around with credit cards. I think I'm one of the only people in our community uh, that don't do that. I also, I really look at how much value I'm getting out of something. So everyone talks about doing their backdoor Roth IRAs and I could be doing them. And I've been held back by the fact that I had some already taxed money in one of my IRAs, but then some non-tax money there, and it was going to cause all sorts of problems. And instead of just doing the work and getting it done, I kind of said, well, yes, I could be a little bit more economically efficient, but it's not going to change my life to such a great extent that I'm going to mess around with it. So I definitely think that perfect is the enemy of good. I'm really looking for good enough with my finances. I don't feel like I need perfection, especially around the edges. Good enough for me. Bob Haynes from our Facebook group asks, what's the biggest surprise that's come from going solo on What's Up Next? The hard, Let me say what the, the hardest thing is, as opposed to the biggest surprise. The hardest thing is that Paul was like my backstop in a lot of ways. So I always knew I had this support, especially when we were recording and I wanted to make a really great conversation. And I have to admit, I get nervous almost every time I go to record an episode. You might not know it from talking to me. You might think, hey, this guy's been doing it long enough. But I still have those little jitters about how can I create a conversation that's worthwhile and rich and having Paul there was like a backstop that if I fell short or if I couldn't bring the conversation in the direction it needed to be, he was always there to help me with it. And that it was something he was really good at. Paul was great at listening, synthesizing, and then in the middle or the end of the conversation, bringing out that one perfect question that tied it all together. And so it wasn't surprising, me that, surprising to me that I missed that after he left but it was something he definitely added. I also, you know, there's a sense of loneliness. I mean, I like doing this. I feel competent doing it, but it was something I, I was sharing with him. And, and that's sad for me too, because it was, it felt good to have that camaraderie, to be doing it together. I definitely can tell that you are a good speaker. You're talking about having Paul as a backdrop, but without him, I think you're great at, asking all these questions and delving into in all of these panels. So I was just curious if you have any training as a speaker, a storyteller, because you speak so well. So I don't really have any training, but I've been doing it all my life. I realized that although medicine was one of my passions, communicating and storytelling from a very young age grew as a passion in me. And so I've been cultivating it over the years by writing, especially writing blogs, writing medical blogs, and doing public speaking. So I never had formal training, but I did practice, practice, practice. And I continue to practice. I think this ability to tell a story, to take 
the right mix of words and put them together in such a way to concisely get a point across is maybe one of the most clever things we do as human beings. And I imagine that I will always be a student of that ability. I think that's that's very deep. And if we're thinking about the ways that we're putting words together and telling our stories, what ultimately, if you're thinking about your story, what would you want your legacy to be? And that comes from Stephen Bauer from our What's Up Next Facebook group. Stephen Boyer, the creator of Camp Fi. What would my legacy be? I hope that my legacy is that people knew me as the guy who listened to them, thought deeply, and tried to synthesize all that information into something worthwhile or of value. I've always felt even as a kid that I was able to sense people's needs around me. I always felt like I had a sixth sense about what people struggled with. And so I hope my legacy is that I was able to put into words maybe some of the things they were thinking and help them. That reminds me of a C.S. Lewis quote that is, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And I think something that's really difficult for us to do is to listen to other people. And so when I heard you say that, I'm impressed that that's something you picked out because I think it's very difficult. It's a lifelong pursuit is how even as I'm sitting here talking to you, I'm thinking of the next thing that I should say, but how can I sit here and really take in what you're saying and listen? And that's a, I think that's a great legacy to have. Yeah, I think listening is both selfish and selfless. Let me think if I can say this correctly. I think to be a good listener, you have to be hearing what someone's saying, applying it to your own life, and then finding commonality. So storytelling can sound very selfish, especially if you're telling stories about yourself. But I've chose to try to listen to what other people say, find the commonalities in my story, and then tell that back to them in such a way that brings us closer together. This one is for you as a parent. Lots of people on the Facebook group, including Dylan Rhodes, were curious about your parenting styles and how that might have changed over time. And how are you instilling good financial stewardship as you're raising your kids? I've thought a lot about how to teach my kids about finances, and it's made me reflect a lot about how I learned. I think there are three main ways children learn about money. I think there's didactic teaching, right? Where your family member sits you down, your mom or your dad, and says, this is what compound interest is. This is what investing is. Believe it or not, I think that's the least helpful, and I got almost none of that during childhood. The next thing I think there is is modeling. So modeling is your parents just doing it in your company and you learning from that. So I have lots of memories of my stepdad renting out apartments and going to fix them up and then collecting rents. And I remember when he had a tenant who didn't pay and the lawyers. I remember my parents talking about stocks and investing. I remember hearing them talk about their businesses that they were building. So they modeled for me great financial behavior. The other thing is they saved and didn't spend on unnecessary things. So all of that was modeling. And to me, that was probably the greatest impact 
And last but not least, there's experiential learning. So they can throw you in and say, here's 10 bucks. It's going to last you the next month. Make it last. Buy what you need. Don't buy what you don't need. Figure it out. Here's your bank account. Here's your balance. We'll give you a little extra interest every month you leave money in there. Go learn about life. So three types of learning, didactic, modeling, and experiential. I learned the most from modeling as a younger kid, and I think experiential learning as I got older. So I try to be very thoughtful with my own children. I don't spend a lot of time sitting there explaining to them what the stock market is or how compounding works. I mention it. I try to bring it up in conversation, but I don't worry as much about that. I try to model good behavior for them. I try to take them with me when I'm doing business negotiations or when I'm showing a rental unit or when I'm writing up a contract. I try to have them see me doing all those things. And then as they get older, we try to throw them in the deep end a little bit in a safe way and have them learn. So as opposed to giving my kids an allowance every week, we started giving them a yearly allowance on January 1st, but then making them responsible for paying for their clothes. So we will cover food, we'll cover school supplies, but if they want candy, if they want clothes, if there's an electronic they want to buy, that's up to them. So they've got to manage their bank accounts and they've got to manage their, you know, quote unquote stipend. So that's, I've been thinking a lot about that over the last bunch of years. And yeah, it's changed. I've been a lot more thoughtful than I was before I discovered personal finance or financial independence. It's made me think quite a bit about it. How has that worked out? Have they come to the end of the year and come to you and said, dad, I'm out of money. Can we, can we speed it up a little? Can I have a month's advance? You know what? The kids are fine. In fact, they almost always have money left over. The hard part is as the parent, you start wanting to dictate how they use that money, even though you've already given it to them. So it's easy for us to wave our finger at them and say, oh, are you getting low on money? But the real purpose of this is not to do that, is to let them go and make safe mistakes so that they can learn from them and they don't do it the next time. So I've had the hardest part about it is not the kids. It's been my behavior, restraining myself and not trying to tell them how to do it. It's always a fraught question for parents, I think, the allowance. I know as a kid growing up, I didn't get allowance and I would write persuasive essays. And later on in my adult life, my dad said, oh, if you had given me the essay and not your mom, I probably would have given you allowance great. I wish I had known that back then, but uh, it's, it's cool to hear that, that idea. I haven't heard that before giving allowance at the beginning of the year instead. So yeah, so far it's worked out. Another question coming from the what's up next podcast, Facebook group is Steven Boyer. He wants to know what achievement are you most proud of? Oh, for sure. This podcast, I, you know, I have to say that I'm proud of hopefully being a good husband and a good father and All joking aside, even though I do less doctoring today than I did, it's something I'm supremely proud of doing and being a part of. But I have to admit the podcast has been quite an accomplishment for me in the sense that it was something that I felt I couldn't do. It was something that was a stretch. And yet I took it on. And for us, it was winning the Plutus Award was amazingly gratifying because I've been in 
the content creation game probably since 2005 if you go back to writing blogs about medicine, etc. And I've never really won anything. So that was really, really cool for me. And it felt good to know that this thing that I did with Paul that we stretched towards, we're able to really achieve something and to know that, you know, maybe it affected people's lives and, and they enjoyed it. Do you have any advice for other people looking at stretch goals? I think a lot of people in the fire movement or in this community have these big dreams that they're starting to realize might be a possibility, but they're a little nervous about starting and wondering maybe there's too many podcasts. There's too many blogs. There's not, no way I could make that much money uh, in order to retire early or be financially independent. So what would you say to people who have a big goal, but they're kind of scared? So I think there are a few different pieces of advice I give. First is you have to jump in. There's so many people who never made it to a goal because they were afraid to take the first step. If you fail after you've tried, it's one thing, but if you fail to take the first step, it's really a shame because then you really had no idea. You never knew. So I think that's part one is at some point you have to stop planning and just jump in. Point two is that with any big goal, if you can find a way to enjoy the process, you've won regardless of the outcome. So for me, this podcast is a great example. I wanted lots and lots of people to listen to it. I wanted to get downloads. I wanted to really create a community around it. But more importantly than that, I wanted to really enjoy it for what it was. I wanted to get onto these phone calls and talk to people and create something of value right there in the moment. I wanted to connect. If I had been too worried about the popularity or where it went or whether I was able to monetize it, it would have pretty much sapped the joy of doing it. And so I'm really happy that the enjoying the process is something I can now focus on. And if I had known more, I would have started focusing on that at a way younger age, way before I was financially independent. I would have thought more about how can I reach my financial goals? Maybe it'll take a little longer. Maybe it'll be a little harder. But how can I do it in a way that really fulfills my short-term goals of finding purpose and and identity and connections with other people? So I think that's part two. And then finally, part three is you have to stop using the terminology of it's too hard or it's too big or it's too far away. Some of the people that impress me most in the world look at problems intellectually And they'll go ahead, define the problem, study the problem. And then like an engineer or a scientist, they'll find ways around it. And there's no anxiety and there's no fear that I won't make it around the problem. There's no question. They just look at it as it's a problem. I've got the internet. I've got smart people around me. I've got YouTube. I've got a a library that's free. I will find a way to attack this problem in such a way that I'll move past it. And that's a real superpower. And I imagine many of us are held back by the fact that we can't just look at problems and hurdles 
that straightforward. And I know in my own life, I'm trying my best to do that, to stop getting anxious about hurdles that stand in front of me and instead just logically say, okay, that's a problem. How do we study a way to get around it? How do we find the right person or the right information or even the right cost to moving past that hurdle and going towards the next step? So those are my three pieces of advice. Sounds like DIYing your life. Like as you approach problems, there's all these YouTube videos about how to fix your drain, but there's also YouTube videos on how to negotiate your salary. And that might be a really scary thing, but there are resources out there. You're not the only one to run into that problem. And I also like the second idea you mentioned, which makes me think of wanting phi so bad that you're putting aside all the enjoyment right now and to start to incorporate that joy. And I think you've mentioned in the past the idea of achievement treadmill. And I wrote it down because that is something I can definitely see. We are running through our lives. First we have school, then we have our jobs, then we have our promotions, and we just keep going this achievement treadmill just like our money treadmill. And instead of looking and focusing on the next thing, reflecting and being happy where you are and, and how far you've come. So I definitely think those, those are wise words of advice. And that brings me to my one exciting question I'm really happy to get to because something I've been inspired by listening to you is these terms that you come up with and it helps me frame problems or ideas. And one of them is front-loading the sacrifice. You mentioned that a lot. And the first time I heard you say that on Choose FI, it's like, oh yes, front-loading the sacrifice. I love, I love that. You talk in your blog about opportunity stacking. And then we touched on the achievement treadmill. Do you have any other frames, ways to frame information or ideas or anything else I can write down in my notebook and bring it with me? I will tell you, I love words. I truly love words. And I love the idea that a few words can paint a thousand pictures. So I'm very thoughtful about how I use words, especially on the blog and how I put them together. I think there's, I'm different maybe from other people because I think writing and words have a rhythm. Someone pointed out when I was giving a talk at one of the Camp Fies that I speak with a rhythm. I sway when I give my talks. And I really enjoy the way words come together and the rhythm we can give them by putting sometimes two words, you can juxtapose them together in a way that you never have before. So I can't give you any explicit examples of that, but I'll tell you that it's definitely something I enjoy doing. And I feel it's part of my craft with writing is how do I take words, put them together in an interesting way and have them create a new thought process in the people who read them. Well, you definitely achieved it with me with front-loading the sacrifice. That was a moment where it really clicked. Now, I have to tell you, I, I imagine other people have used that. I don't know, but I part of the problem with when you read a lot, a lot of blogs is God knows if someone else said it before, said someone said something similar to it. Um, 
So I won't take 100% credit for anything because I just can't remember all the millions of blog posts I've read. Uh, but it, it, those words work well together for me. And that's fair. I think we often, something that I hear is you don't want to retire from something. You want to retire to something. But the very first time I heard that, I don't remember who it was, but it was a spark. And if they hadn't said it just because somebody else had said it before, I would never have had that idea solidify my brain, except for maybe the next time it was said. <laughs> but I'm glad that I think it's okay to repeat yourself sometimes. And I think we're word and phrase collectors, right? So mm. you go about and you read all this stuff. And when a word or a phrase connects with you, you incorporate it into your philosophy. And if you're on enough podcasts or write enough blogs, you start creating your own personal story. And you incorporate those words and those phrases that fit well into your story. And they become yours, or at least part of your story in that sense. And I have a question for you that you posed to me, and I couldn't think of an answer on my feet. But I'm curious if there's anything about you that people would be surprised to learn. I think I've told a lot of the audience about the surprise, but people are very surprised to learn I had a learning disability. So for someone who likes to talk and write and likes giving public speech, I had a heck of a time learning how to read. I would see letters upside down and backwards, and I really struggled with it. I went to a tutor for five, six years. In fact, there was a time at school I had three tutors. The school provided two, and then we had a separate one that I went to once or twice a week. I think people would be surprised also to know that I do all these things, but it's not... I definitely get nervous. I get nervous when I do a podcast or I get nervous when I go up and give a talk. I was recording an episode about public speaking recently and Grant Baldwin said, well, you have to almost redefine that nervousness. Start thinking about it more as excitement. And maybe that's what it is, is when I see the possibilities laid out in front of me, I want to raise myself to what I think I can make things become. And so I think that would surprise people because I think on the outside, I'm a pretty confident person. I think I'm pretty secure in those parts of me that aren't. But being confident doesn't mean that you don't question yourself or worry or wish you did better at times or have fear that you won't do as well the next time. So I think people don't know those things about me because I don't necessarily always express them and certainly. I don't necessarily show those emotions, but they're there just like anyone else's. That's really actually kind of funny because I went to my boyfriend after the podcast and said, what do you think? What would people be surprised to learn about me? And straight off the bat, he didn't have to think about it. He said that you're not confident. And I was like, what? Excuse me. But he explained you're very well-spoken you come across very confident. You go for what you want. You apply for these jobs that you might be unqualified for and you make it happen. But behind the scenes, I get to see you wondering if you said the right thing or if you're doing the right thing. And so it definitely, I think, is imposter syndrome. And a lot of people might be surprised that these folks who come across as very successful and doing really well um, not that I'm very successful at the moment, but you know, that we, that very successful people feel those feelings too. We all are feeling that imposter syndrome in, all, in little ways. 
Yeah, I wonder if we almost have to redefine what is confidence, because I think we all have it on some level. And it's almost like if you don't have that at all, you're probably either not pushing yourself or at least are not made with the emotions that most of us have. That reminds me of Alex Honnold, who is a world famous free solo climber. And he was in a movie about his free soloing El Capitan and they did a scan of his brain and he doesn't feel fear the same way that other people feel fear. And so maybe some of us feel confident in a way that other people don't feel confident. Yeah. Some people physiologically, it might be different, but as for now, maybe for you and I, we're just like everybody else, same fears, same worries, you know, just struggling through trying to do the best we can. Surprise, Doc G and financial mechanic, we're human too. And I think that is the perfect note to end this segment. Thank you, financial mechanic. These were great questions. Uh, The Facebook community is growing. You can find us. The easiest way is at diversify.com backslash Facebook. That's D-I-V-E-R-S-E-F-I.com backslash Facebook. We continue to have conversations very similar to the podcast in the Facebook group. We discuss articles. It's a really great group of people who respond and comment and interact. So we'd love to see you there. Don't forget diversify.com backslash Facebook. And thank you again, Financial Mechanic, for helping me out. Yeah, thanks for having me. I would add about the Facebook group, there's always really interesting articles Doc G posts and poses some interesting philosophical questions for everyone to engage in. So if that's your jam, definitely check it out. I thought it was great. I'm glad you said you liked my answers. Sometimes you say stuff and I'm like, I hope it's interesting. Did did, did that land or did I just really insult them and they're about to kick me off of here? You you never know. (laughs) No, my my usher joke. I've been waiting to tell that. And I'm like, was that funny? I'm not sure. Well, you guys uh, quoted Chris Rock, and one of his goals when he was doing his stand-up was for his kids was keep her off the pole. Oh, that is so funny. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, true. <laughs> you know, you, know you, have, you have like levels of goals, you know, like your financial right. independence and keep, yeah. keep, keep her off, off the pole. It's <laughs> oh, the first step. So, that is so funny. <laughs> um, I was about to say, uh, maybe the, the financial independence version would be keep her out of the cubicle, but... Uh, that's right. Oh, oh my God. There you go. We ask a lot of zingers. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so that's stay okay. on your toes. I like stay zingers. Toes. I was about to say, he, Paul says that now, but now it's going to be like the most service conversation ever. <laughs> yeah. After starting that as the intro, it's going to be like the most boring, straightforward question. Like, no, tell it's us okay. about yourself. No. He woke up with lost voice and a fever, but... Oh, no. I'm essentially a carbon copy of him. <laughs> so I can, uh, I can hopefully can answer all the questions you might have. Or keep a good all right. You, you're just going to have to talk a lot. This is great. <laughs> that's it. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> we're, Successful we're recording. Yeah, that's, that's all. Hi, this is Chris from Stealthy Rich, Houston, Texas. And you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. You're supposed to say that part too, Chris. <laughs> oh, I'm so okay. I'm sorry. Okay. I, I missed that. You'd you're say, to the, 
Sorry, yeah. my bad. <laughs> I thought you were going back to that. Okay, one more time. Let's try. The what's on? Oh, yeah, Sorry. you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. So what's let, up next podcast? Yeah. Gotcha. So let me repeat this. Hi, this is Chris from the Stealthy Rich out of Houston, Texas, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Got it. For a small uh, fee, you could just use mine. But uh, <laughs> 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 all right, Chris. In three, two, one. Hi, Perfect. I'm. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, we're, we're we're this is not the live part. This is just a couple so, of little intros. <laughs> Karen Clearly, was all over I, it, man. She I was, 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 was ready. Going, she was going to make it happen. What, you, all the words were right. You were kind of doubting yourself while you were saying it. So just say the same thing again <laughs> with okay. with confidence. Here's yeah. here's my only question. Sometimes I take like song lyrics or a quote. Are you guys okay with me reading that? If it, I, I always make it flow. Any of my interviews, you would never know. That it's in front of me. Are you okay with that? Of course. As, okay, okay. as long as you sing it. <laughs> <laughs> if you sing it. I'm excited it. now. <laughs> oh, boy. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily, wherever you get your podcasts. Tech moves fast, so keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch wherever you get your podcasts.